I was kind of an abrupt end to that nice video, but uh, a powerful, powerful message. And uh, today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and uh, certainly I uh, want to weave that into our message here today. But it's a very special day for uh, me to have the opportunity to challenge all of us to think about the subject of life. What is your theology of life? As you think about life and how the Bible describes it, what is your theology of life? And I want us to think about that. We're in a series called The Seven Deadly Sins, and we kicked it off last week talking about uh, the first deadly sin in Proverbs chapter 6, the sin of pride, and we're going to look at the second one here today in just a moment. But I want to start out the way I did last week, and that is, it's still January of a brand new year. What sin in your life do you need to leave in 2023? What area of disobedience? You know, we have an opportunity to choose disobedience or devotion in every area of our life. What do we want to choose? What are we choosing? What sin do we need to leave in 2023? And let me ask it another way. What cycle of sin do we need to break right now at the beginning of 2024? You read the book of Judges and and you just see cycle of sin after cycle of sin. The people of God, the children of Israel were were obedient, then they were disobedient, and then they uh, uh, were judged, and then they repented, and then they obeyed for a while, and then they were disobedient again, and then they were judged, and then they repented, and over and over the cycle of sin was uh, impossible to miss. What cycle of sin do we need to leave in 2024? Just like bad eating and not exercising is bad for our physical body, and just like overspending and not saving is bad for us financially, and just like unforgiveness and distrust is bad for us relationally, so sin is destructive to us spiritually. The Bible has a lot to say about sin. It says sin is missing the mark, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin may be pleasurable for a season, the Bible says, but in the end it brings judgment. Sin enslaves, Jesus said. Sin is destructive. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Sin must be addressed. It says in John 5.14, Jesus said these words. He said, stop sinning or something worse may be happened to you. Sin has been addressed by Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And sin must end. It must stop. Should we go on sinning, Paul said, so grace may abound? God forbid. Heavens, no. Sin must be put to death. When you Google the seven deadly sins, you'll come up with the church history version of the seven deadly sins. It was, it was made popular by Thomas Aquinas in the 12th century, but even way before that, it was uh, written by, by other uh, church fathers. Lust and gluttony and greed and sloth and wrath and envy and pride. And there are many, many, many lists in the Bible about sins. This is not an exhaustive list. It's descriptive, but it's not exhaustive. There are many. I shared about a dozen different lists of sins in the Bible last Sunday when we kicked off the series. But the list that we want to focus on is the one in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, where it says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. A haughty eyes, that's pride. We talked about that last week. 
a lying tongue, we're going to talk about that next week, hands that shed innocent blood, we're going to talk about that today, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that uh, are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who stirs up lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. It says specifically here, these are things God hates. And the question I want to ask again here today is, do we hate the things God hates? And do we love the things God loves? As you look inside, as you ask God by his Holy Spirit to shine a spotlight on your soul and spirit, can you truthfully say, I hate the things God hates and I love the things God loves? Is it being manifest in my life? Last week we talked about pride, having haughty eyes. And we used the example of the prideful life of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 and King Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5. Just potent illustrations of pride. And we compared that to Jesus, who was the opposite of pride. He was humble. Opposite of hubris, opposite of narcissism. He was humble. And we read about that in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. I made the statement that the very, very first beatitude that Jesus taught is blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who aren't pride. Blessed are those who know they're nothing without God. And even the first of the Ten Commandments talk about how we should have no other God before him. Pride sets us up as God, small g. God hates pride. But he also hates the shedding of innocent blood, murder, We're going to talk about murder today. Turn to your neighbor and say, that sounds very uplifting. (laughs) And the whole message is here. Don't do it. Now you can leave. That's the message. No, 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 don't leave. Please stay, stay. There's more to share. It may not sound like the most inspiring, but it's in God's list of the top seven. It's also in the list of the top ten, the Ten Commandments. It seems like we should talk about it. Cain and Abel were involved in the first murder. And Jesus in the New Testament talks about the opposite of murder, having a heart of love and compassion. I think the second beatitude speaks to this where Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who understand the deep, tragic travesty of sin. The gravity of sin. Blessed are those who mourn, who are deeply devastated by sin of every type. And certainly in the Big Ten, Ten Commandments, Commandment number six, thou shalt not murder. Today on this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, I want us to focus on the subject of life. The Bible says over and over and over and over and over again, we are to respect and protect life. If you zoom in on today's message, you'll see thou shalt not murder. If you zoom out, you'll see respect and protect life. If you zoom in, you'll see don't shed innocent blood. If you zoom out, you'll see let's talk about the theology of life, life, life. Jesus said, I came to bring life and to bring it more abundantly. Life. What is your theology of life? I want to share three guiding principles today. The first is this. Human life is indescribably valuable and precious. Indescribably precious to God. Life is precious to God. Not only does the Bible say don't murder, you know, don't shed innocent blood, it teaches us over and over again to respect and protect life. It's precious. We see 
in uh, commentaries and uh, the study notes of scholars that the word used here for murder is a word that is different than the word killing in the Bible. And it speaks to a premeditated or deliberate act. It's intentional. It's premeditated. It's deliberate life-taking. And the command not to shed innocent blood or don't murder does not apply to the killing of animals, beasts, Genesis 9.3, you know, hunting, for example, uh, defending one's own home from a nighttime burglar, Exodus 22.2. I've listed the verses here. These would be great for you to study in your small group and just have a great lively discussion on your theology of life. Accidental killings, Deuteronomy 19. Self-defense, Exodus 22. And then just war, Romans 13, Ecclesiastes 3, Matthew 5, 9. I've been asked the question many, many times, you know, what about war? And uh, I really believe the Bible teaches the just war principle versus pacifism. There are many that would say, well, the Bible says turn the other cheek, so we just should never, ever be at war. And uh, I think that's something you need to really study. The idea of a just war is to stop the aggressor, rescue others from evil, care for the needy and helpless. And probably the most influential writer on this subject for me has been C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, where he says, this is why I'm not a pacifist, and he includes other essays. You know, just war can be illustrated, and others have used this illustration Uh, In fact, I've talked to people who have been pacifists, and I said, so you're telling me that if someone breaks into your home and they want to kill your family, you're going to just sit there, lie down, and let it happen. You're not going to do that. You're going to defend yourself just like I'm going to defend my family to my last breath. But it's part of developing a theology of life. What do you believe about life? You know, it's interesting that the Crusades were you know, trumped up as this, uh, you know, godly thing, but there were so many atrocities that happened during that time, and the whole idea of holy war is something that's not held by Christian churches today. But just war is different. Just war is defending the innocent, caring for others. I've had to think a lot about that because uh, we're an army family, have been for quite some time, and these things are really, really important to me, to us, and uh, we've got skin in the game. It's not just a philosophy or a thought. You know, when you're an army family or a military family, thank you everybody for your service that are similar in that way, uh, you've got skin in the game and you want to really think that through carefully. But what does the command apply to? And this is where it gets a little tender and a little difficult because many have been impacted and affected by some of these. Self-murder or suicide is forbidden. Assisted suicide in euthanasia is forbidden. Accessories to murder, and I have all the scriptures there you can study when there's more time. That's something that God hates. Those who exploit murder, God hates that. Um, Abortion. We could go on listing other things that are outside of God's ideal. The second thing I want you to think about as you develop your own theology of life, and I have found this helpful in developing my theology of life, is number two, human life is holy and sacred, and it must be treasured, treasured, treasured. 
Every person is created in the image of God. The imago Dei, the image of God, is, is such a powerful, powerful teaching in Scripture. Latin term for imago Dei talks about how every human life is sacred. It speaks to the sanctity of life and that everyone has the right to life and that life must be protected and valued at every stage. The Bible teaches that you and I and every other person is valuable to God. Genesis 1.31 and 2.7 and Jeremiah 1.5 and on and on we can go. Every life is unique, like a snowflake. Every life is sacred, and every life has purpose. Notice what it says in Psalm 139, 13 through 16. And I was thinking a lot about this verse as I held in my arms this past week for the first time my brand new little baby granddaughter. Ruby Annika is perfect. She's perfect. And Lisa and I are so blessed and so pleased. Our second granddaughter, can you believe it? After having three sons, we have one grandson, two granddaughters. And this is what I thought about as I held her. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's how God views my little granddaughter and your children and every child and every life. Here are some foundational truths to remember. You are the apple of his eye, the crowning achievement of his creation. You and everybody else. There are no illegitimate children. Now, there may be some illegitimate parents, right? But there are no illegitimate children. Life is a miracle, and every person is a miracle of God. Let that sink in a little bit. A miracle of God. God knows you and loves you. There are no accidents. You were planned. God knows. God knew. And God has a purpose for every, every life. I wrote down some underpinnings of a biblical theology of life that mean a lot to me. And I encourage you to jot these down. You may have to re-listen to the message if you're interested and, and get it down so you can kind of think about it. Maybe talk about it with your small group. For you and me, sanctity of human life must be more than a culture war slogan. For you and me, it must have a biblical moral conviction. We must have a biblical moral conviction that life is precious, all of life. We must care deeply about how all people are perceived and treated. And this is where I think many fall short. Refugees, racism, poverty, the sick, the aged, single moms, orphans, at-risk children and teens, the abused. You must believe that all people everywhere at all stages of existence have supreme value to God and should to us too. 
A theology of life must be all-encompassing. It must be bigger than sometimes the issues we shrink it to. You must show human dignity to all persons of every description. We must believe that all human life is a gift from God and is to be respected and protected. The third point that I want to share here today is we are called and commanded to respect and protect life. And I find it interesting that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26, Jesus expands on the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. He expands on thou shalt not shed innocent blood, you know, the, uh, the third thing he hates here in the Proverbs 6 list. And he goes on to expand and speak about a heart attitude of love. He says, you have heard it said to people long ago, you should not murder. Anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Talks about heart attitude. Talks about a lack of compassion, lack of empathy, lack of love. I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift on the altar and there is something you have against another, you need to go and make it right. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. Don't take him to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You know, murder, Jesus says, is wrong, every part of it. But he expands it, he expands it, to have a compassion and empathy and a love for others. You zoom in, and what we're talking about is death. You zoom out, and it's all about life. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the full, John 10.10. I find it interesting to look at this timeline. I probably should have put it up on the screen, but go ahead and paint it in your own mind's eye. You know, on the left, you've got creation. Uh, We are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And you move from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 3. What happens in Genesis chapter 3? The fall, Adam and Eve sin. Sin enters the world with its anger, jealousy, pride, hatred, and so on. So you got the Imago Dei, you've got the fall, chapter 1, chapter 3, and then in chapter 4, what do you have? The very first murder. Things started out so great. Then sin infected and affected everything. And all of a sudden, a couple of brothers get angry and upset, and one kills the other one. Genesis 4.8. Cain kills Abel. Life, life, life. Jesus says we need to stand for life. We need to be about life. And I want to close the message by, again, challenging us to think of ways that God wants us to step up and better respect and protect life. How can we engage? The first way is, We need to care for the vulnerable, the at-risk, the poor, the alone, the sick, the afflicted, the hurting, the refugee, other ethnic groups, you know, fight against racism, care for children and youth and single moms and the elderly and the food deprived and those in need and the suffering and the mentally ill and the physically ill and the shut-in and the orphan. And I could go on. 
That's why we've built a ministry focus at our church to help us do what God has called us to do. In fact, you look at every ministry this church has, and it's all about the scripture telling us to be proactive in a certain area. And the Bethany Compassion Center was born by caring for people in need. Caring for people in need. We need to care. We need to get involved. Maybe for you, you can uh, volunteer. Volunteer at the Pregnancy Resource Clinic or other ministries. We have uh, some, some displays out in the lobby, and I encourage you to stop by some of the tables. Uh, we're very, very excited to have uh, some uh, uh, of our partners with us here today. Hand in Hand supports children and families in crisis by providing services, including uh, clothing closets, emergency food boxes, rent, utility assistance, foster family support services, uh, and an emergency shelter for children who have been removed from their home. Would you give a big hand to the work of Hand in Hand? And we also have with us today the Pregnancy Resource Clinic, an accredited medical clinic that provides essential services at no charge for at-risk women. They also offer ongoing support to these women through parenting classes, support groups, and their baby boutique, and I know are wanting to offer uh, services to men that are involved as well. Would you give a big hand to the Pregnancy Resource Center? In fact, we have some representatives from those organizations with us, and they're right here. Would you guys stand? Let's give them one more hand. We thank you so much for being here. And they will be at their tables. Christy Browning will be at our BCC table. I want to encourage you to step by, stop by and find ways that you can uh, volunteer and get involved. You see, if we truly care, we're going to be aware. And we're going to engage. We're going to engage in the ways that cost us the most, our time and our money. And I want to encourage you to give to the Bethany Compassion Center that supports organizations like this and does this kind of work. We've developed what we call a culture of life, and you see it here on the screen, where we work with PRC and uh, moving around to the left, Olive Crest, Hand in Hand, Abundant Life, Healing Hearts, the Encouragement Project, Evergreen Recovery Center, Lahai Health. You know, we used to have a, a medical clinic once uh, a month at the BCC, and by April it'll be every single week. Uh, again, a culture of life, life, life. Single mom support group, emergency assistance, uh, Ever Gospel Mission, and, uh, and more. It grows and changes uh, every single year as we try to find ways to fulfill what God has called us to do, and that is to be about life. We need to care. We need to get involved. We need to volunteer, support, give money, mentor, encourage, help. You see, here's the thing. We're in an election year. What happens during election year? The thermostat goes really, really high. And the way many Christians think you deal with elections is you just get loud and shout and say, here's what I think, you're wrong, I'm right, you're wrong. And we yell at each other. And, and I stand back and I go, you got to be kidding me. What if we stated what we believe in an appropriate way, but instead of the yelling, what if we got our hands dirty and got involved? What if we volunteered? What if we served? What if we gave of our finances, gave of our time? What if we volunteered with hand-to-hand? -hand? What if we volunteered with Pregnancy Research Clinic? What if we volunteered with any of the other groups that we had on the screen? 
What if we volunteered? What, what, what if we gave financially? What if we engaged and helped one person at a time? It's interesting when you study the statistics, whether there's a Republican president or a Democrat president, you know, the abortion rate has been consistent. But what would happen if everybody in our church and everybody in every church and everybody in every church and every state in our nation engaged in helping one woman, one family, one man work through the challenge of figuring out life We need to display grace and receive grace. How can we show grace? Grace is what Jesus taught. Remember the woman caught in the act of adultery? You know, the religious elite wanted to stone her. Jesus gave her life. How can we minister grace? By adopting a child, like many in our church have done. Foster care, like many in our church have done. Supporting and encouraging others, being a big brother, being a big sister. What are different ways we can show grace? What about serving in the kids' ministry of our church? Many single parents and grandparents raising their kids are plugged into our church children ministry. Imagine the impact you could have in showing grace by serving. Show grace by joining a small group and intersecting with others and finding ways that you as a group could care and show love. Grace. Maybe you've had an abortion. Maybe you've gone through a real traumatic experience like that and you feel wounded. We serve a Savior. His name is Jesus, who heals broken hearts, who gives us a brand new future. Who of us have not made a mistake or sin or blown it? All of us have. All of us need a Savior. And what beautiful news to be able to share with people. Forgiveness is available to every one of us. Learn how you can help. Be informed and aware. If you care, you'll be aware. Have some emotional intelligence and sense where God wants you to really be a blessing. You know, sometimes I think my dog Rex has more emotional intelligence than I do. I mean, I'll be watching a football game and I'll get stressed out and he will come and sit on my lap. He's a therapy dog. I'm here to tell you. And a lot of times he'll stand up so I can't see the TV. He'll stand on top of me, blocking the very thing that's messing me up. And I couldn't help but think about that this week. Sometimes I think he has more emotional intelligence than than the rest of us do. But what if we prayed that prayer? God, give me emotional awareness, how I can be a blessing in helping offer grace. Beautiful to think about. Mental illness, emotional pain, brokenness. Child abuse. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in our nation. Globally, 800,000 people end their own lives each year. Suicide rates have steadily increased over the past two decades, both in the U.S. and around the world. Most recent U.S. stats state that 132 suicides every day. 
That's one every 10 or 11 minutes. Wow. 1.4 U.S. attempted suicides and 12 million have seriously thought about it. Jesus said, I came to bring life. Church, how can we do better as a community of believers in communicating life and communicating grace? What's the best way that we can be used of our Lord to be a blessing to those in our community and literally around the world? It's through grace. It's by being about life. Lord, we bow our hearts and our heads and we pray, use us, Lord. Use us. Use us, Jesus. May we live, love, and lead like Jesus in such a beautiful, beautiful way that it becomes attractional to people that need to know of the love of Jesus. By how we say what we say and what we say, by how we give of our time, by how we give of our finances, God, use us to be a blessing to precious, precious people all around us. Some struggling to find what to do. Life is so overwhelming and there doesn't seem to be hope and, and some fall into a pathway that is destructive without even knowing that there are people who care. How can we get on the radar of more and more people as a community of hope, a community of faith, a community of grace, a community of compassion. God, I pray that this culture of life, that this church, Bethany Christian Assembly, is developing through the BCC will grow and grow and become more and more effective and real and pronounced and aware. We are serious, Lord, when we say, use us to be difference makers in our community. May we partner as great partners with the many others that are doing great work in our community. May we join uh, arms, link arms, and serve together to make a difference in the lives of individual people that down deep really, really want to do the right thing, but they're just not quite sure how to step forward. Use us, Jesus. Make us usable, Jesus. That is a collective prayer, and it's an individual prayer. Friends, I hope that you make it your prayer. Finally, Lord, as we leave this place, we commit again our lives to you. We recommit our lives to you. We want to live, love, lead like Jesus. We want to be your ambassadors, your witness, your uh, light. We want to show people the way. Help us, Lord, as we pray about the thoughts of this message to find new and fresh ways that we can engage in being dispensers of grace, givers of hope, purveyors of life. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen.